Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Sabbath. Nice to see you here for our Revelation class. Just a couple of reminders. Um, if you have a question or want to make a comment, we have a microphone, and um, that's for the recording. And other than that, we'll go ahead and get started. Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sabbath day. Thank you that we can continue our study in the book of Revelation. And as we finish Revelation chapter 17 today, I pray that you would be with us as we understand more of the deep things of God. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are in Revelation chapter 17. This is our third week in Revelation chapter 17. And Revelation chapter 17 is one of the very interesting chapters in this book. Um, I guess one thing I'm interested to know is how many of you were here last week when we talked about the seven heads? Raise your hands if you were here last week. Okay. Raise your hands if you were not here last week. Okay, so most of the class, which is what I was sort of anticipating, and um, that's fine because my plan for today is to review um, more than briefly what we talked about last week with the seven heads. Um, one reason being the recording hasn't gotten up onto Audioverse yet, so I apologize for that. I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but also, for those of you who weren't here last week, um, understanding the seven heads, I think, is very important. And so, we are going to take a look again at the seven heads, and we'll probably finish the chapter today. But, as a reminder of, of where we are in Revelation chapter 17... Revelation 17 starts off in the first two verses with one of the seven angels who had poured out the seven last plagues, one, who had been responsible for one of the seven last plagues, telling John, come, I'm, I'm going to show you the judgment of the great whore. And this gives us the idea then that the seven last plagues are the judgment of this woman known as the great whore. And chapter 17 makes it very clear who this woman is and why she received the seven last plagues. And there's a clear connection between chapter 16 and chapter 17 because the very first thing we see is that one of the angels who was responsible for pouring out one of the plagues is now telling John, here's why this woman received the seven last plagues. And then we see that we have this woman scar sitting on a scarlet-colored beast, f having seven heads, ten horns, and on the woman's forehead is the name written, Mystery Babylon, Mother of Harlots, and she's drunken with the blood of the saints. And we saw, so I'm kind of reviewing chapter 17, but this gives us the big picture understanding. So we saw that here we have a woman sitting on a beast, 
we understand from the Bible that a woman represents a church and a beast represents a political power. And we saw that the woman was actually the one who was drunken with the blood of the saints. And what we see here is that the beast represents the political power of Babylon. The woman represents the religious power of Babylon. And as um, one of the people here in the class told me two weeks ago, whenever church and state unite, persecution follows. And as we see here, it's the woman who's responsible for the blood of the saints. So it's a religious power who kills God's people. So that's a key, a key point to to take note of. And so now we, we're starting to see already why this woman is being judged. She, she's made the, the kings of the earth commit fornication with her. She's drunken with the blood of the saints. And so we see that there's the woman and the beast. And in verse 7, the angel says, I'm going to tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. And then verses 8 through 17 give us a clearer description of the beast and then verse 18 tells us who the woman is so that's how you would divide up revelation 17 and when we get to verses 8 through 12 especially which is what we looked at last week this gives us a very clear description of who the beast is and it gets into the discussion of the seven heads and this is a point of a lot of different ideas in the Adventist church some very interesting ideas some some of them somewhat strange and as I pointed out last week if we stick to the principles of historicism we're not going to come up with something strange and new for the seven heads and the beast and all of that. So as a, as a way of review, <clears throat> when we get to verse 8, now we're going to talk about the beast which the woman is sitting on. So who is this beast? And in verse 8 it says, The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. Now, in verse 11... We know that we're talking about the same thing because it says the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. So verses 8 and 11 describe a beast that was, is not, and goes into perdition. So we know that we're talking about the same thing in verse 8 and in verse 11. Does that make sense? So whoever this beast is, it's the same in verse 8 and it's the same in verse 11. And... <clears throat> In verse 8, we see that this beast was, so in the, it's in the past that it existed. Currently, it is not. And in the future, it shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. So then the question is, what is the time frame to define what is past, present, and future? Don't you think that's an important question? So in order for us to know who the beast that was in the past is not currently, but shall ascend out of the bottomless pit in the future, what is the dividing line 
that allows us to say, okay, that's in the past, this is the present, and this is in the future. Well, the rest of verse 8 gives us the clue. <clears throat> verse 8 says, And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So what happens then is there comes a point when the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit, they that dwell on the earth shall wonder. Now, we talked about this last week, but can you think of a place in the book of Revelation where there's a period of time where the world wonders after something? That's Revelation 13 where it says, all the world wondered after the beast. And if you turn to Revelation 13... <clears throat> It's in verse 3. When does all the world wonder after the beast? The, the world wonders after the beast when the deadly wound is healed. So now we're starting to get an idea of who this beast that was, is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit is. It's the same beast that received the deadly wound in Revelation 13. Does that make sense? So this beast in Revelation 13 receives a deadly wound. When the deadly wound is healed, all the world wonders after the beast. In Revelation 17, the beast was, is not, it shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and the earth shall wonder. So that's a parallel description of the same power. Very similar language. In Revelation 13, it's the deadly wound. In Revelation 17, it's the beast that was and is not. And then Revelation 13, the deadly wound is healed. Revelation 17, the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit. And in both Revelation 13 and Revelation 17, the earth wonders after the beast. So when we line up Revelation 13 with the beast who received the deadly wound, with Revelation 17 and the beast that was, is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit... Now we can understand the time frame to say, okay, where is the dividing line to say that the beast is now in the past, currently is not, and then in the future shall come back? Well, based on Revelation 13, this beast received the deadly wound at the end of the 1260 years. So 1798 is the dividing line for the beast being in the past in Revelation 17. So when it says the beast was, that dividing line is 1798. So when you read Revelation 17, we are from the time period of 1798 and beyond because the beast was and is not. So after 1798, the beast is not. And then sometime after 1798, the beast shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life. So I spent a little bit of time to review that, but I think that's crucial to understand. So does that make sense? So now that we understand that, <clears throat> as a brief matter of review, verse 9, here is the mind which hath wisdom. So it takes wisdom to understand what we're going to talk about next. By the grace of God, we're going to hope that we receive that. It says, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. I talked about this last week, but a mountain 
And Bible prophecy represents a kingdom. How do I know that? In Daniel chapter 2, a great stone, a stone comes and destroys the image when we are at the very end of that image in the toenails of time. And then that stone becomes a great mountain and feel, fills the whole earth, which is God's kingdom that he sets up, which shall never be destroyed. So a mountain represents a kingdom. So this woman sits on seven kingdoms. And then verse 10, there are seven kings. And this is where things get a little interesting. Some people believe these seven kings represent seven popes. I know I've talked about this a lot. But I believe it's important to understand this correctly so we don't get deceived. In Daniel 7 verse 17, it talks about four kings who are four kingdoms. And this is important enough that I'll turn there. Daniel chapter 7 verse 17 Daniel 7, verse 17 says, These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. And the question then is, who are these four kings or four beasts in Daniel chapter 7? It's Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and pagan Rome. And then you have a little horn coming out of pagan Rome, which is papal Rome. So, when you have four kings being four kingdoms in Daniel chapter 7, and then when we see Revelation 17 saying we have the seven heads are seven kings, now we know that we're talking about seven kingdoms here. And then what's very interesting, it says five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. Now here's another interesting point. Here again we see past, present, and future. Five are fallen, one is, and one is not yet come. And remember the beast that we've talked about? It was, is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. And we have this dividing line of, okay, what defines being in the past? What defines being in the present? What's our dividing line to say something's past and something is present? And we've already seen, based on the beast that was, is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, the dividing line is 1798. So then when we say, okay, our dividing line for past and present is 1798, when we see the seven heads, which are seven kings, and it says five are fallen, that's in the past, one is, and one is not yet come, the dividing line for the five heads being fallen, or the five kings or kingdoms being fallen, is 1798. And then from 1798, then you have the sixth head. And then sometime in the future, you have the seventh head. Does that make sense? Now, I saw a, a hand back here. If you wait for the microphones for the question there. Well, I was wondering how the woman was uh, sitting on the seven heads if they involved Babylon and Greece you know, which the woman had not even arisen yet. So I was wondering how she was sitting good, on them. Good question. The question is, how does um, the woman sit on Babylon and Greece when the papal power hadn't even arisen yet? Very good question. If you notice the description of the name of this woman, what is her name in Revelation 17? It's Babylon, right? And so... What happened in Babylon? 
because what we see here is you have a woman sitting on a beast. That represents a religious and a political power coming together. So then the question is, why is, um, why is this being described as Babylon? So is there any example of church and state coming together in the original kingdom of Babylon? And if you study the book of Daniel, in fact, there is. And the specific example is the image on the plain of Dura where Nebuchadnezzar rejected the prophetic message of Daniel 2 where you have gold, silver, bronze, iron, feet of iron and clay and said, I'm going to be the kingdom forever. And you have to bow down and worship me and if you don't, I'm going to kill you. So there you see church and state coming together. That's the first example prophetically, so to speak, where we see church and state coming together and what the result is. It continues in Medo-Persia where the king's advisors convince the king to set aside 30 days where only he can be worshipped. And because Daniel only worships the th true God, he is thrown into the lion's den. So we see this concept of Babylon, union of church and state, down through those kingdoms. And so the name that's used to describe all of that is Babylon. And then it continues on in pagan and papal Rome, and it will continue on through all the powers that give their allegiance to the dragon up until the second coming. So that's, in a nutshell, hopefully that answers your question. But here, let's get back to the five kings. Five are fallen. One is, and one is not yet come. Our dividing line for the past and present is 1798. So the question is, do we have five kingdoms that take us to 1798 that could fit the description of Babylon? And the answer is yes, we do. We have Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, pagan Rome, and papal Rome, which ruled from 538 to 1798, receives the deadly wound in 1798. The question then is, what world power could qualify to become the sixth head in 1798? Well, if we stick to the principles of, of historicism and the book of Revelation, the answer becomes readily apparent because in Revelation 13, we have the first beast, which has seven heads and ten horns, receives the deadly wound, and then the second beast comes up out of the earth. It, it looks like a lamb, speaks as a dragon, and then uh, eventually causes all the world to wonder after the first beast. Now, here's an interesting point of history. In 1798, Western Europe recognized the United States as a sovereign nation. So in the same year that Papal Rome receives the deadly wound, the United States becomes recognized as a sovereign nation by Europe. So 1798 is a crucial year in Bible prophecy, and as we talked about last week, 1798, according to the book of Daniel, is also identified as the beginning of the time of the end. So when five are fallen and one is, the sixth head comes onto the scene, we are now in the time of the end. And we don't know how long the sixth head will rule, then we get to the seventh head, we're going to talk about that. And then there's the eighth, which is of the seven, we'll talk about that. But... Here is one thing that I want to point out about those who argue for the seven popes. And we have a little bit more time to talk about that today, so I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. Here's the argument for the seven popes. 
The argument is that in 1929, when Mussolini, the Italian prime minister, gave the Vatican its legal status as a sovereign nation back to the papacy, that the deadly wound was healed. There's only one problem, and it's a major problem with that argument. <clears throat> the deadly wound was that papal Rome, as its, as its religious entity, lost its power over the state. And they still have not totally regained that. The deadly wound will be healed when papal Rome ascends out of the bottomless pit and all the world wonders after the beast and it regains its power, its religious power, to have power over the world. From, during the 1260 years, papal Rome was the leading world power and as a religious power, had power over the state. You could argue that the wound is being healed, but it has not yet been healed to the point that papal Rome can dictate and you know, tell the United States to imprison someone for not worshiping on Sunday or whatever. We have not reached that time, so the deadly wound has not yet been healed. People try to say, well, 1929, the deadly wound was healed. That's when the seven kings, which are seven popes, and then if you count the popes, it's very interesting. The sixth one is John Paul II. The seventh is Mus or not Mussolini, Benedict the 16th. And they say he's going to continue a short space. And then the eighth, which is the seven, is John Paul II. He's going to be resurrected and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's weird stuff. Um, but it's not biblical. And here's what I'm trying to show you. If you stick to the biblical historicist principles of Bible prophecy, when we see that five are fallen, our dividing line is 1798, we know who those five kingdoms are. Babylon, Medo, Persia, Greece, Pagan, and Papal Rome. 1798 is our dividing line. Then the sixth head is the United States. And when, based on our understanding of Revelation 13, when... The second beast of Revelation 13 causes all the world to make an image of the first beast and causes the, the world to, to worship the beast who had the deadly wound and was healed. Then we transition from the sixth head to the seventh head. And I'm going to talk about that now. So, <clears throat> five are fallen. One is, the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. So when the seventh head comes, it's going to be a very short time. And then it says, the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. So the question is, when is that beast that was and is not going to come back? This is the fifth head which received the deadly wound. But it's, it's described as being the eighth which is of the seven and goes into perdition. When it says it is the eighth and is of the seven, it's of the seven because it was the fifth head and it received the deadly wound in 1798. It is the eighth, so to speak, because when the seventh head comes up, that is the time when this beast will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. Does that make sense? So it was, is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. When... The sixth head is, this beast is not. When the seventh head is, it ascends out of the pit 
the, out of the bottomless pit. And the deadly wound is healed. Now, what happens when the seventh head comes into power? Notice verse 12. It says, The ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Notice, these ten horns are ten kings, and it says they have received no kingdom as yet. So this is in the future. But when these ten horns, which are ten kings, arise, what is the, um, or how is their kingdom described? It's described in a singular sense. It's not kingdoms, it's kingdom. So you have ten horns, which are ten kings, they, receive, they have received no kingdom as yet. So the ten horns are the seventh head. And they have one kingdom. And it's with the beast that was and is not, that received the deadly wound, and it sends out of the bottomless pit. And they, re they receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Now, here's an interesting point. How many toes are in the image in Daniel 2? There's 10. When does the stone hit the image? It's in the time of the 10 toes. So the 10 toes represents, you have a mixture of iron and clay down at the end of the world, and it's miry clay mixed with iron, so you still have the element of Rome. Miry clay represents a corrupt church, and it's the whole world, the 10 toes, who are the 10 horns. And they unite with this beast that received the deadly wound and he ascends out of the bottomless pit when the whole world comes together on the premise of uniting church and state. And the reason why this beast ascends out of the bottomless pit, or in other words, its deadly wound is healed, is because finally, after 1798, when it received the deadly wound, finally, the whole world has come together again on uniting church and state together. And that is what gives power to the beast. Because the premise for the power of the beast is the union of church and state. And that was killed, so to speak, in 1798, so it goes into the bottomless pit. And it's the United States, as the second beast of Revelation 13, that pulls that beast out of the bottomless pit and gives it a resurrection, so to speak. And that is when the whole world comes together under the union of church and state and this beast has power again. Now, so that, that's basically reviewing what we did last week, but for those of you who weren't there um, or who weren't here last week, kind of catches you up on what we studied. For those of you who were here, it's a good review. Um, Revelation 17 is, is a challenging passage of scripture to understand but if you understand it it gives you a much better idea of what's going to happen at the end of time let's see how we're doing on time okay so let's have a volunteer read verse 14 revelation chapter 17 verse 14 right down here revelation chapter 17 verse 14 
These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Okay, thank you. Now, the very first thing, verse 14, these. Who is, who is that referring to? These. It's, it's the ten kings, or the, the ten horns, and the beast. And what do they do? They um, make war with the lamb. And actually, you know what? I skipped verse 13. Sorry about this. Let me read verse 13. I don't know how I did that. Verse 13. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. So notice the whole world has one mind. This is a crucial point. This is the great controversy between Christ and Satan. In John 17, Christ prays that, that we all may be one with him. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mystery of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory, having the mind of Christ. And then, the whole world who wonders after the beast, these have one mind. And this is mystery Babylon. So you have the mystery of God, and you have mystery Babylon. So you have Christ... And being one mind with Christ. And you have the mystery of Babylon. And being one mind with the beast. And remember in Revelation 13. The dragon gave his power, seat, and authority. To the beast with seven heads and ten horns. So either you will be one mind with Christ. Or one mind with the devil or the dragon at the end of time. There's no, um, there's no middle ground. So when... The ten kings come together with the beast. They will have one mind. It's union of church and state. And when this union of church and state happens, these, the ten horns and the beast, who have one mind, shall make war with the lamb. So notice what happens here. Babylon, the woman and the beast, and the seven heads and the ten horns. When we come to the end of time, when the seventh head comes up, and continues for just a short space, this is the period of time when the whole war, world makes war with the Lamb. Now, is there a, another place in the book of Revelation that describes war being made? Well, we see in Revelation chapter 12 that Michael fights against the dragon. And at the end of Revelation chapter 12, it says the dragon was wroth with a woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So notice here, the dragon who gives, gives his power, seat, and authority to the beast with seven heads and ten horns makes war with those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That happened during the 1260 years and it happens again at the end of time when the whole world unites under the premise of church and state, they will make war with the Lamb in the person of his saints, with those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so Babylon, the woman who is drunk with the blood of the saints, she is the one who goes after those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And she receives the power to do so at the end when the whole world comes together and they give their power, as we see 
in verse, 17, verse 13 of chapter 17, when they give, give their power and strength to the beast. When they give their power and strength politically to the beast, then more, war is made against, against the lamb. But then it says, the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Now there's a lot that we could say about being called, chosen, and faithful. There's one verse that I want us to, to turn to. And it's Second Peter. <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 10. Is there a volunteer that wants to read Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 10? Right, right over here. 2 Peter 1 verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Okay. So in 2 Peter chapter 1 it says, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Well, what's this calling? It's these exceeding great and precious promises that by these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then there's, um, it's known as Peter's ladder, Second Peter chapter 1. And if we give diligence to make our calling and election sure, we shall never fall. And in Jude 24, now unto him who is able to keep you fall, from falling. It's interesting, the book of Jude talks about those who were turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. It's known as the doctrine of the Nicolaitans that brings in this teaching that you can do whatever you want and it doesn't affect your standing with God. We see that teaching in the church today. That's a Babylonian teaching. And so what we see here is that God has a group of people at the end of time who are called. They've made their calling and election sure. And they've reached the point where they do not fall. They're among the 144,000. They're chosen and faithful. They are faithful to God. So the reason why the lamb overcomes the beast and the ten horns and, and so forth is that he has a group of people that have been called, that have been chosen, and that are faithful during this last crisis. When all the world wanders after the beast, God has a group of people who are faithful to the calling and election that he has given. And so that's a, a key point, and that's what we have been called to be. Let's be faithful to that. We have a, a hand back here. Could you comment on the last part of verse 8 as how that relates to this verse? The last part of, of verse 8 says, They that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So that's talking about those who are not faithful to God will ultimately wonder after the beast. Those who are not faithful, when the beast comes up out of the bottomless pit, it's going to be an overwhelming power for those who are not faithful to God. And so that, it behooves us to be faithful so that we are not deceived. That's why, we, that's why we study this book, so that we will not be deceived at the end of time. Now, 
wrapping up chapter 17, and we've hit really the key points, but in verse 15, it says, He saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So what we have here, peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, this represents the whole world who gives political support to the woman. Now what's interesting is in Revelation chapter 16, remember how the, the river Euphrates was dried up? The great river Euphrates was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. That's during the time of the seven last plagues. So here we see the woman is sitting upon the waters, which represents multitudes, nations, tongues, and kings. And yet the great river Euphrates, which also represents water, is going to be dried up. And this is after the close of probation. And the very next verse says, The ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now what's interesting is these ten horns also represent the whole world which give power to the beast at the end of time. And here they give power to the beast and then suddenly they hate the whore, they make her desolate, naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. What happened? This is the drying up of the river Euphrates. And it's also an example of history repeating itself. If you remember um, Papal Rome, it initially received power from the Franks or the Kingdom of France from Clovis in 508. As it's, that's the beginning of the 1290 years of Daniel 12. And so at the beginning of that time, France initially gives power to the papacy. But at the end... In 1798, who was it that gave the deadly wound to the papacy? It was France. And then at the end of time, Papal Rome again, as history repeats itself, the whole world gives it its power, and then it takes it away. The great river Euphrates dries up. So it's history repeating itself. And then verse 17 for God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Now this is not saying that these kingdoms are going to be saved. I mean, God used Babylon to take down Israel, but that doesn't mean that all of Babylon is going to be saved. Um, and then verse 18, The woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. This is Babylon. And so we see why Babylon received the seven last plagues. We see the whole world wonders after her. She's drunken with the blood of the saints. And you may say, how in the world can I avoid being part of that Babylon in the end of time? The answer is found in Revelation chapter 18. We will study that next week. But God sends a message at the end of time, just before Babylon receives the seven last plagues. And the message right, lightens the seconds. earth with the glory of God. And there is no excuse for anybody to stay in Babylon before the seven last plagues are poured out. God is too merciful to let that to happen. We're going to study that next week. So thank you, everyone.